and welcome to the first episode of the Resilient and Real podcast, a production by the San Bernardino County Department of Behavioral Health. This podcast will focus on mental health and substance use disorder resources, including field expert interviews and department news to promote wellness, recovery, and resilience in our community. I'm Amara Freeman, DBH Public Relations Manager and your host today. We hope you enjoy our premiere episode. March is National Social Work Month, and the theme this year is Social Workers Are Essential. Our first guest on the podcast is none other than DBH Director Dr. Veronica Kelly, a super social worker. Dr. Kelly, welcome to the first episode of Resilient and Real. Thank you, Amara. I'm excited to be here. So in preparation for our first podcast today, I had to go online and Google what is a social worker because really I had no idea. And all these pictures came up with like people talking to somebody in a suit. And that person in the suit usually had like a clipboard and looked very uh, boring and judgmental. What is it that super (laughs) social workers do? So that's a great question. I think a lot of people aren't really clear on what social workers do. Social workers are clinicians. We are trained to do psychotherapy, just like a psychologist or a marriage family therapist, but our training is far more in-depth. So we are trained to address the micro, which is the individual, family, or patient, but we are specifically trained on ecological systems theory. So that means it doesn't matter really what you do with an individual if you're placing them back in the very same environment that helped cause their issues in the first place. So we are also trained to work on the macro. That means the larger environment, as well as with a couple other systems. One is called the mezzo. And those are systems that operate with the identified patient as well as the environment. An example of that would be the school system. So we work with all of those systems to ensure that we can support a person in achieving the outcome that they want. Social workers are very focused on um, what the identified patient wants to do. Uh, It's not about what I think is best for him or her or them. It's what they tell me is best for them. And so our job really is to help them achieve that. Many social workers get training in policy. We are uh, folks who help create and support policy that would address the macro, as well as the way people are are, uh, most familiar, I think, with social workers is seeing us at the individual level. So it's really interesting how you said that you work with people to kind of meet those needs that they're expressing that are important to them. So what do you do in situations when um, a person is, you know, set on doing something or seeing something accomplished in their lives, but from your perspective, you view it as detrimental. How do you, how do you help that person? So as long as it's not illegal, um, that would be a different story. But if someone comes in because they've received a, a, a driving under the influence ticket, and it is their third or fourth such ticket, but they still cannot I- identify that they might have a problem with a substance, a social worker's job would be to get them to the place where they could see that. 
And so we would use motivational interviewing as a way of talking to them to find out what their goals in life are and to um, shine a light on how their current uh, experiences might derail them from achieving their goals. Like all types of therapy, the most important aspect of therapy is the relationship between the clinician and the patient. And so social workers are trained on how to build rapport and how to create that relationship such that there's enough trust so the social worker could point out things to a patient. But if the patient does not want to become a teacher, even though they have all the skills necessary for a teacher and they would like to remain a janitor, then my job as a social worker is to help them get to that place that they want to be the best janitor they can be. Interesting. I've seen motivational interviewing actually come out or come through my emails as um, a training that I can take over at workforce education and training. And I've always just kind of overlooked that because I didn't understand what it meant. So now that you explain that to me, I think I'll sign up because I think it could really be used with my relationship with my kids. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So I know, Dr. Kelly, you're very candid about um, your life and in your experiences, but what is it? Is there anything that you can point back to that made you decide to become a social worker? So there's a few things, I think. Um, I really believe that there are intuitive or natural social workers amongst us, and not all of us embrace that and go full force into the field. But for myself growing up, um, I was a parentified child, so a child who was a little bit precocious. Um, My mother was from another country, the Philippines. I found my role sometimes uh, being that I would help her negotiate the American culture here, even though her and I came to the United States at the same time. Um, And then our family experienced the trauma when I was about 12 years old. Um, I had a brother who's 11, sister who's 10, and a younger brother who was uh, eight. And my sister was uh, taken from our home by a stranger, and uh, she was returned about 18 hours later, She was found about 20 miles from our home, and I witnessed how our family dealt with that sort of trauma, as well as how the macro system, the police, dealt with it. The police just brought my sister back to our home. They gave her to my mother, who took her straight into the house, and we were forbidden to talk about it. In fact, we didn't talk about it for about 30 years, even though my sister knew part of the license plate for the car that took her. She knew that the man who took her was wearing a beard that had a string on it. So it was a fake beard. We just didn't talk about it. She didn't go to a hospital to have an exam to see if she had been uh, molested or, or physically abused. None of that happened. And so the way that trauma played out in our family was the way we would expect it to. My sister was then uh, um, began to cope with what happened to her by utilizing substances. She started with alcohol at age 10. Um, Obviously, we had a genetic predisposition to uh, addiction in our family. So it was a combination of, you know, nature and nurture. And then my brothers, the same thing happened with them. Um, I think the same thing happened with me, but my role wasn't to figure out a way to cope with the trauma. My role really really was to um, become the coping mechanism of our family. And so that set me up to uh, become a social worker. 
And then I noticed that in my everyday life that I was the person people talked to about their problems. They didn't necessarily ask me for an answer, but they wanted to talk to me. And that included the parents of my friends. It was very odd. Even when I was in college, if we would go to uh, um, a club or a bar or something, the person who would always sit next to me would be end up telling me their entire life story. And so when I found out what social workers actually did, because I was under the, the idea that maybe social workers just worked in child welfare and uh, saved children and took children from homes and helped with adoptions. But when I found out what we actually did, that was really very exciting to me. And so um, I found out that when I was in college and I was pursuing a, a degree in psychology, I wanted to become a psychologist because that was the closest thing I knew of to helping right. people with their problems. And um, the dean of the School of Social Work for uh, University of Southern California came to speak to our class. And when she spoke, it was like the heavens opened up and the angels sang. I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I applied to USC and got in and um, I've been a social worker ever since. To have a skill where um, you're able to listen to people, I think is amazing. It's something that not, I, I think not a lot of people have. Maybe it's frequent within the realm of social work, but to me in my life and in the general public, listening is is um, a skill that people definitely need. So I love that you mentioned that. That's awesome. So thank you for sharing your story. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how law enforcement works with social workers. Sure. Um, that is a great point about our partnership with law enforcement. Law enforcement are supposed to protect and serve. Uh, Social workers, we support and serve. So we are doing sort of the same thing. The difference is our motivation. Um, And when I'm working with someone on the street uh, as a social worker, uh, what I have is my intention. I have the skill set that I learned in school and that I honed uh, in my practicums. And what uh, law enforcement have is power, a badge, and a gun. And so those are very different tools. I think that social workers in the Department of Behavioral Health work very effectively with law enforcement because certainly if there's a call for something like domestic violence, that means that there is an assault going on that involves a family system. And so it would not be appropriate for me as a social worker to walk into that environment. Even though I have a skill set that might assist folks, the initial environment is a dangerous one. So law enforcement could go into that situation. They could uh, de-escalate it, ensure that it was safe. And then when uh, when people are safe, then the social worker could come in and do their job. We have to do it together. The very last thing that law enforcement wants to do in my experience, is to harm people. That's not what they're supposed to do. That's not why most uh, law enforcement officers sign up for the job. And likewise, social workers are supposed to help people. So we work hand in hand with law enforcement. Uh, Law enforcement in San Bernardino County is very clear that they are not equipped to address mental health issues, addiction issues, Mm -hmm. family dynamics. That's not what they have been trained to do. And they don't want to do that. So they will secure a scene and they will call us in and we will do the, um, the work that needs to be done to connect people to resources, to uh, get them to a hospital or a substance use disorder treatment facility, whatever it is that they need. 
but it is a partnership. Uh, we also are very instrumental in educating our law enforcement on what mental illness looks like and what addiction looks like so that when they come across it in the field, they will have a better idea of how to respond. And so that's when we do training with a sheriff's deputy funded through the Mental Health Services Act. We do a crisis intervention training and CIT training, crisis intervention training, gives officers the skills in a 40-hour session so that they can discern when someone is behaving erratically because of perhaps a mental illness or because they're under the influence of substances. We also bring in as part of that training people who are, have experienced a mental illness or an addiction and have had an interaction with the, uh, the police or law enforcement that was not the best so that law enforcement can hear firsthand how it impacted someone's life when a weapon was drawn on them. Wow. That's been a very effective relationship. I think it really gets down to the bones of community policing, knowing that one entity cannot do this and knowing too that we would never send a social worker into an environment where we are not sure of their safety. Social workers right. currently work with people who are seeing us probably not on the best day of their life. And so it, inherent in that is some risk. But if there's a call for, you know, a person with a weapon, a person with a gun, or there's um, a violence in the home, certainly we would never send a social worker in solo to address that. But the partnership we have built with law enforcement also helps reduce stigma so right. that when officers are rolling uh, on the streets, attempting to protect and serve us, and they see someone who's standing on the corner shouting at their voices, mm -hmm. they know that that's not just a wise guy, right? They know that that's probably someone who's experiencing a mental health crisis or is in the throes of an addiction. And so their number one job then is to connect with us so that we can get the services to the people who need it the most. What do you think the future of social work looks like? I think social workers will take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> social workers are everywhere. We have social workers who are in who are legislators and policymakers. That's really where we need to be to create better policies that serve more people. Uh, and because social workers are trained to look at intended and unintended consequences of legislation. So that's really important. But do you think at that level that they tend to forget what ha what's happening at the at the ground floor, you know, with people everyday lives? Well, I think once a social worker, always a social worker. We are bound by ethical codes and values that tell us that we are, uh, you know, what we're supposed to do, that we're always looking out for social justice. That's one of our values mm -hmm. is social justice. So that would take us very far in our current climate, of course, mm -hmm. that it's about self-determination. A patient decides what they need and what they don't. And we are there for the ride to assist them, support them and serve them. Uh, certainly, we need clinicians at all levels. But I think the way behavioral health, mental health and addiction services is rolling out in our nation, social workers are trained to do field work. Not everyone is going to come into a nine to five clinic and see me for a 50 minute session. Some of my best work is probably done as a social worker uh, out in the field, uh, you know, at uh, a homeless encampment or where someone is experiencing the crisis in their own home. That's the beauty of social work is that you can take it everywhere. And I think that we're going to see more of that sort of thing, more of partnering with, with partners that 
might not be the most natural partners like our police officers or even mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. and uh, our EMTs or our paramedics. I think that's where we're going to see social workers ending up. We should be in our schools and we have been, but um, budgeting um, and our nation's lack of support for behavioral health prior to the pandemic has really impacted that. Mm-hmm. I think social workers need to be everywhere people are. Well, I'm glad that you and other so- social workers like you are are doing this work. Uh, it's very much needed and it's um, making an impact in our local community and our nation for sure. So thank you so much, Dr. Kelly, for the work that you're doing and for being our first guest on our podcast today. Any final words of wisdom you want to leave for anyone who's thinking about social work? Well, I think social work is a noble profession. And for all the social workers out there, both those who have formal education, like a bachelor's or a master's in social work, as well as those of you who are just natural, uh, intuitive social workers, um, we appreciate you very much. Important thing to remember as social workers is we usually are the worst patients. We don't often take care of ourselves. And if you want to remain in the field for any length of time, self-care is really important. Self-compassion, being able to identify when things have been stressful. Most of us are dealing, again, with people on the worst day of their life, not when they are at at their best. And that can take a toll. We often see the worst that humanity can bring uh, to the table, and we have to take care of ourselves. So that means address our own mental health. Make sure that we are uh, relaxing and doing things that make us smile, that bring joy to our souls, that we're not 100% giving every single day to our patients because if we don't give to ourselves, we won't be able to give to them. So really important for all the social workers out there who who are doing it every single day, take some time out to ensure that you're going to be there for the wrong, for the long run. Wise words. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Thank you. Being resilient and real also means practicing self-care, whether that means going on a hike, reading a book, or putting down our phones. So each episode will feature a DBH employee and share how they practice self-care in a segment we call self-care corner. This week, Ashley Dinkle, Media Specialist 2, shares how she practices self-care. So I personally experience anxiety and I've had bouts of depression in the past. And so one of the best ways I can practice self-care is by getting in some type of workout, whether that means a quick walk around the block or me actually going to a gym. Being able to work out just really helps reduce any stress or anxiety that I may be carrying throughout the day. The hardest part for me is finding the motivation to actually go, to actually do it, to actually work out. And it can be so much easier for me to just say, "Eh, I don't want to go. I want to watch Netflix. I just want to chill on the couch. It's been a long day. But on days where I really feel like I need that workout, I need to let go of my stress then that is the best way for me to get that self-care. And I think of it like this. If I'm having a bad day or I'm feeling anxious or stressed, I can go to the gym. I can walk to the front door and say, okay, I'm letting go of everything. I'm just going to focus the next 30, 45 minutes, hour, whatever, however long. I'm just going to focus that amount of time on my workout. And I'm going to feel better when I'm done. 
And it always happens, every single time. I always feel better, I always feel relieved. I feel like I have a clear headspace and just I can kind of shake off some of those worries or anxious feelings that I was feeling before the workout. Recently, I was on my way to the gym and I had gotten a phone call from my mom. She said that my dad's doctor is pretty confident that he has leukemia. And as those words had rolled off her tongue, it was just instant shock for me. I couldn't even cry. I I couldn't even process my thoughts. I was so just confused. And at that point, all I wanted to do was turn my car around and go back home. I did not feel like working out. And I think that would have been a very, you know, acceptable way to process this news. It's huge news. There's, there would have been nothing wrong with that. But I pushed myself to get to the gym because I know, I know that when I'm there, I can let go of my stresses. And so I pushed through, I went to the gym. And of course, that was still something that was on my mind. But after my workout, I felt like, okay, now I can process. Now I feel better. I feel less anxious. You know, I've got that, that anxiousness out. And so I was able to now kind of move forward with my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings. And it just made that a little bit easier for me to handle. Somebody once told me there is no such thing as a bad workout. And I feel like that is so beyond true. Whether it's just a 10 minute quick walk or it's an hour long training session in the gym, whatever it is, whatever amount of time it is, none of that matters. As long as I go, I work out, I do my thing, I feel like it is so beneficial for me. And that's how I practice self-care. Are you interested in sharing your self-care story? Email us at dbh-publicrelations at dbh.sbcounty.gov and our team will contact you for more info. Let's spread some self-care tips to our DBH family and our communities. Wow, what a great first episode. We hope this podcast inspires you to be resilient and real. In this life, it's so important to think of joyous things. As this episode comes to an end, I want to challenge you to think of three things that bring you joy. Don't forget to follow DBH on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for all things DBH. And subscribe to this podcast today to be updated when the next one drops. Until next time, live life resilient and real.